Hello, and welcome to the RUF Stanford podcast. RUF Stanford is a ministry that relies 100% on the generosity of donations in order to serve the Stanford community. Feel free to support us by going to give2ruf.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. What we're going to do for the rest of the quarter is look at a handful of parables. These are little stories that Jesus tells, teach us about what God is like, what the kingdom of God is like, and answering this kind of broader question for the next several weeks. And it sounds big and cliche, but kind of go with me for a second. How to know Jesus. And what I mean by that is not know about Jesus, but to actually know him. Because that's actually the core of the Christian faith. To be a Christian is not to agree to a minimum amount of information and try to be good enough to get into the good place. That's not what it means to be a Christian. It is to know God. Uh, I've been working through catechism with my children um, this year, and the answer to the question of why did God make us is to know Him, to live with Him, to love Him, and to glorify Him. So salvation, as we classically use it, sometimes we usually think it means a good place. Actually, salvation, according to Scripture, is being with God. The good place in the book of Revelation is more often described by social context, who you're with, than it is by geographical context, where you are. So for that reason, we're going to talk about what does it mean to actually know, uh, to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And to do that, we're going to start by reading a parable that Jesus tells in response to his disciples when they say, how do we pray? This is what he says. He said to him, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend... Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray that you'd be with us. Jesus, we thank you for these words. We want to know you. We want to know how to pray. Maybe we don't. Uh, But I pray now that as we consider your words, and everyone in this room is in a different place, that you would teach us and that you would open our hearts up to the possibility of a rich life of knowing you, Father God. So be with us and teach us, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, The reason we're starting with this parable and asking the question of what does it mean or how do you know Jesus is because, I'm not going to name any names, but on a couple occasions I've had guys ask me a question that's a really, really important question in life. It's a question they ask about how to start a relationship. And they all know that the important question is, how do I talk to girls? Not naming any names, not referencing any grade, what year you are in school or anything like that, but... We've gotten that question a couple times. The reason we ask that question is because we know that's how it starts. The first thing that has to happen for any relationship to begin is a conversation. How do I talk to girls? Might be, how do I talk to guys, right? And, uh, but you know that's how a relationship starts. So what this parable is, is Jesus answering the question, how do I start a conversation with God? 
How do I talk to God? It's a relational question. It's not a technique question. To know Jesus, the first thing you have to ask is, how do we begin to have a conversation? What am I supposed to do? And Jesus answers it by telling a story. Parable is one of his most common teaching tools. And the story is this. You heard it. A man comes to a friend at midnight in need of food because he has a guest he can't provide for. Now, what we have to work to access a little bit in this text is failing hospitality in this context, in the ancient Near East in the first century, is the utmost social sin. It is the social sin that you don't recover from. It's the faux pas that marks you and scars you forever in your community. You're shunned from your community. You're a bad name on the village when a guest comes to your house and you can't provide for him. So this is... This guy, in his worst moment, that's hard for us to access because hospitality is not as big a deal now, but for them, this is his worst moment. This is his most embarrassing moment. To fail hospitality is to fail, period. It is to mark yourself and your family with shame in your community because you've actually also marked the community, right? You've brought shame on the whole community. It's irrecoverable. So he comes at midnight and he's like, friend, This is it for me. I'm not prepared, and what's about to happen for me is going to ruin me and my family. I need your help. I don't have any bread to offer my guest help. And this is where the text turns. And this is an important... The the phrase and both phrases in this verse are important. I tell you, not because they are friends. That's really important. But because of his impudence, will he rise and give him what he needs? What is Jesus saying when he says, not because they're friends, but rather because of his impudence? The word, the word impudence means to avoid shame, someone who wants to no longer have shame. And he's describing the person asleep, not the person at the door. And what he's telling us is this, that even the most irritated neighbor in the middle of the night wouldn't shame himself by not helping. He wouldn't help because they're friends. That's not enough. He would help because the need is so great, no one would not help. And then he says, just like any dad would help, even bad dads wouldn't shame themselves by, not giving, by giving their son a serpent instead of a fish or a scorpion instead of an egg. And what he's saying is, he says, even you, bad fathers, know how to give good gifts, how much more the Heavenly Father. And this is a common tool in Jesus' parable. He uses this principle, the how much more principle. Because what he's not saying is he's not saying that the guy asleep is kind of God in the parable. What he's saying is the guy asleep in the parable is an average to possibly bad guy, and even he would wake up and help. Simply because it's common courtesy to answer this kind of need because the need is so severe. How much more would God respond? The Heavenly Father who loves you. So in that first point of how to come, and this is important, this is how you come to God. This is how the conversation starts. You come with need. Prayer is not a technique. It's not if you pray enough or with the right technique, God's going to show up if you do it the right way or in the right order. Y'all have noticed, maybe you're one of these people that pray with weird words that you don't normally talk with. Right, that somehow that accesses a higher realm of the heavenly world or something like that. Prayer is not a technique. It's not if I do it the right way and say the right words, God will show up. But secondly, prayer doesn't require pedigree. 
it specifically says it's not because they're friends that he helps. Jesus tells another parable about prayer, a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. That's a religious official and a morally corrupt government official. And he talks about them. He says, they go to the temple and pray. And the religious official prays like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I work so hard to do the right things. Thank you so much. The tax collector goes to the temple and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, after the parable, he says, the tax collector went away right with God. Now, why was it that the tax collector goes away right with God instead of a religious official? This is why. Because God does not listen to, care about, or is impressed with our pedigree. It doesn't earn you entrance or favor with Him. And it actually frustrates Him that we would come believing that we can only come to Him after we've made some effort to generate a decent religious or moral pedigree. All you need is need. That means this. This is going to frustrate a lot of us. That means there are people here tonight who might not even identify as Christian that could be closer to the kingdom than people who are here tonight that identify as very religious. That there might be people here who think, I'm not Christian-y, I'm not RUF-y, I'm not churchy, I'm not morally enough to presume that God is proud of my pedigree. And they might be closer to the kingdom than the religious person saying, I've tried to do everything right, I've done so many things, more right than other people, and God, you owe me. And you might think, no, but I know that's wrong, because in the Bible, James says, the prayer of a righteous man is very, very effective. You're absolutely right. But that term, righteous, means something specific. It means right with God. Let me ask you this. Who is right with God? The person who comes to God and says, God, I haven't loved you. I haven't even believed in you. There's no reason I can offer you that you should listen to me, but I need you. I need your mercy. I need you to show up. I need to know if I'm loved. I need to know if there's hope. I need to know that failure won't destroy me. I need atonement. I need healing. I need you. Who is right with God? The person that prays that prayer or the person that prays, God, I expected more of you because I've worked really hard to be really good at being a Christian. Who has a rightly ordered relationship with God between those two people? It's the one who comes in need. All you need is need. And when Jesus says, ask and seek and knock, he's not saying repeat yourself over and over again. He's saying, come in a raw and needy way. And here's the thing about coming with only need, is that's both easier and harder than it sounds. And it's easier because all you have to do is come empty-handed. But it's harder because you have to come empty-handed. And need is the true thing about all of us, that we're trying to do everything we can to hide from ourselves and others. We hate getting into understanding our own neediness when it shows up. We are all trying to overcompensate for it, to outwork it, to outclever it, to hide it, to justify it, anything to not feel it. We don't want to feel our need. I think there are three kind of obstacles to kind of getting into our own need. The first is we're afraid of it. Maybe you're in a place where you don't feel great need. Where there's no drama, where there's no big sadness in your life, there's no big red flags. You're like, I don't feel a great need. We're gonna get, I'm going to get awkwardly personal for you for a little bit tonight. Not what you're thinking. But we're going to be politically incorrect for a second. 
Um, I am an upper middle class white guy in 21st century America, if you haven't noticed that. Here's what I want to say about that. There is no more comfortable person to be than an upper middle class white guy in America in the 21st century. And if anybody can numb their sense of need, it's me and people like me. And the way that I can numb my sense of need is keep my life uncomplicated with the problems of other people. I can feel pretty unneedy. And that is the posture of someone with a hard, hard heart. And a lot of the great evil in the world is perpetuated when comfortable people stand by because I'm doing okay, so why would I complicate my life that's uncomplicated by caring about other things? That's some of you. To be able to walk through this world and be content with your own comfort when there's a lot of sorrowness, a lot of sadness around you in the lives of friends, of siblings, of parents, even in the lives of enemies. When you see their need and you think, but I'm not needy and there's no major discomfort in my life, so why would I enter into that? Here's the need you have, and I know you have this need because I have it too. You have the need for Jesus to make you human again because that is the result of a hard heart. That is the loss of our humanity. And maybe some of you need, like I do, Jesus, to break the heart that has grown content with not caring about anyone else but yourself. That is a place of deep need. That is the place of need that Jesus warns against than any other place. The warning he gives most often in the Gospels is the warning of greed. Because greed and pride are the clean sins that no one ever feels bad about. And greed is not about money. Greed is about insulating ourselves, doing whatever it takes to make our life simple and comfortable and not able to be afflicted by other people and other things. The reason, I really mean this, the reason that me, Britton Wood, is personally threatened by the social and cultural upheaval in our country right now is because I am actually in a place of comfort and if I let myself be confronted by these things, then my life gets out of control and uncomfortable and I become needy because I find out I'm wrong. I find out that I'm powerless. I find out that I'm insufficient to help very much. I find out that I'm a fool. I find out that I'm part of the problem. When I begin to enter into that, I become a very needy person. And life is much more comfortable when I don't enter into that. Some of us have insulated ourselves from the brokenness of our friends and we protect our personal comfort by hardening our hearts to the sadness in the world. That actually means you're deeply in need for Jesus to make you human again. Everybody's in need, even the comfortable people. We're afraid of our need. We can insulate ourselves from it. We're also not good at understanding our need. We're good, everybody's good at articulating our wants. Right, And there can be some overlap. That's not necessarily bad. There can be some overlap between wants and between needs. And I would say as you mature as a person, actually those things overlap more and more because you begin to sense the immaturity of a lot of your wants. You begin to know yourself better and what your real needs are. But I think mostly we're focused on our wants. I want to do better in school. I want to have a great group of friends. I want a job, a romantic interest. And we present our wants. And again, that's not all bad. But I want to suggest to you that those wants are really how we're seeking to remedy our deeper needs. And this is the question that I would encourage you to ask yourself. Why do you want? Alan Jacobs is a humanity professor at Baylor who just recently published a book on how to think better. 
And I read an interview of him, and they said, why can't people think well today? And he said, the core problem, the big universal one, is a lack of awareness about our own motives and incentives. We actually don't really know what we're after. We can address some superficial goals and aim for some superficial goals in our life, but we don't know why we're even aiming for those goals. Here's what I mean by that. Right? Let's just take something very simple, our relationship with our bodies and our workouts and our diets. And you're like, I know what I want. I want to look better. It's not a good answer. Why do you want to look better? Don't trust the first three reasons you give to answer that question. Maybe the fourth reason down, you'll start to be honest. Why do you, what do you hope will happen for you if you look differently when you look in the mirror? Here's what we begin to, when we're honest, begin to say to ourselves. When I, I want to see something I don't despise when I look in the mirror. And if I don't despise it, maybe I'll feel better about myself. We are longing for peace for our souls. That's why we do crunches. It is. Have you ever asked yourself why? For all the things that you want. This is what we're like. We're kind of like my children who are cranky at 9 p.m. And they think, I'm cranky at 9 p.m. What I need, what I want, is sugar and television. If I just had sugar and television, my heart would be full of peace. They don't know themselves. They don't even know how to want what they need. And so parents are at war with their children saying, no, what you need is rest. And I'm trying to give you the thing that will heal you. We don't even know how to want what we need. We struggle to access our need. We're not good at understanding it. So go to your wants. Go to them and ask why. I would say, actually, don't believe the first seven reasons you give why. You're still lying to yourself because everybody's got a bunch of party lines and a bunch of cliches. When you're using language you're hearing other people use, and especially if you're using any language in Silicon Valley or Stanford brochures, just don't believe yourself. Somebody just gave you a cue card. But maybe on the eighth answer, maybe you're starting to be honest. And you're beginning to get to your needs and past a shallow understanding of your wants. We hate our need, we're, we're uncomfortable, we're not good at understanding our need. And lastly, this is a big one, I think we're also afraid of hope. Some of us are deeply in touch with our needs. Your family is broken, you're carrying shame or guilt about decisions, about addictions, about habits, about parts of your culture. You're, maybe you're ill mentally, maybe you're ill physically, maybe you're ill, Ill spiritually. And you're actually terrorized by your need all day long. You might look around and you think, maybe there's some of us that don't wake up in over our heads. There are other of us that wake up and lifting our head off the pillows is to come into a world we feel out of control in. In our life, with our issues, our internal realities, life to be alive is to be in over our heads. And after a while, in that context, it gets hard to want to hope. The psalmist actually gets tired of hoping at times. Psalm 42, Psalm 73 are places where he says, I'm thinking about giving up hoping. I'm tired of wanting Jesus or God to show up in my life. I want to stop hoping. What's scary when you know your need, what's scary sometimes is hoping. Sometimes we want to seal ourselves off from hope because we're tired of it. Because we're in over our heads. And Jesus is saying to you in this parable, 
the doorway to healing, the doorway to restoration, the doorway to joy, the doorway to fullness while you are a student at Stanford in your life right now starts with being in over your head, embracing your neediness, and taking it to Jesus. That's how you talk to Jesus. That's how you start the conversation. And that takes us to the second point. Well, then what should we expect? That's how the conversation starts. What goes from there? My favorite writer, Chuck Klosterman, talks about how he has two and a half dates worth of material, and after that, it's a crapshoot, conversationally. Um, What do we expect after the conversation started? Jesus closes with something that I think is a little disappointing at first. And if we're honest, maybe you feel disappointed too. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Right? We wanted something more. We wanted something that felt more promising. What does it mean that He will give you the Holy Spirit? Romans eight sixteen is a great summary of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's saying, that's what I'll give you. When you come to me with all your need and all the different places that you experience need, here's what I have for you. The Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you're children of God. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, this is... If, I hope you get this. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is the thing that everybody in here longs for. And the reason that we've never thought that that's the thing we long for is because we don't understand the deeper needs behind our wants. We actually haven't gone enough levels down to see what all those wants are actually teaching us about ourselves. But also we don't understand what the Holy Spirit does. Here's what I mean by that. Like, when we turn off the lights and take off our clothes for a stranger... We're doing it because what we want is we want to pretend for a moment that someone sees us in our entirety and accepts us and delights in us. That's why we do it. We want to feel love so badly that we'll take a bastardized form of love temporarily. We know it's a lie, but we just want to believe that lie for a little bit. But we know it's a lie because we wake up in shame. But then our only coping mechanism is to harden our hearts to feeling that shame and what actually happened until we can't feel anymore. The reason that we work so hard is because we want to feel significant. The reason that we're angry is because we don't want to feel hurt. The reason that we're proud is because we can't face how scared we are. The reason we judge is because it distracts us from our own guilt. The reason that we're anxious and like to think that we have control is because we don't know if the one who does have control is good. And what Jesus is saying is for all of that, you need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry is summarized by this. It is God testifying to your spirit that you are his child. And when you have assurance that by the grace of God you're his child and that he is your good Heavenly Father, you have everything you need for this life. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the answer to all of those things. You are fully known and fully loved only by someone you know or sure knows the worst about you. If you want to be sure you're loved, the person that you hope loves you has to know the worst about you. Has seen you laid bare, has seen all the ugly, and accepts you forever. Not one night to be disposed of, but forever. This is why sex inside of marriage is actually a a mirror or a theater of the gospel. You get significance, not from work, but from a delightful and proud gaze of your heavenly Father. You are safe in Jesus, even in the midst of deep pain, because He is the one who suffers with you and suffers for you. You are safe with Him. You will have no fear. 
when you are sure of God's goodness and power. You're free from guilt and judgment when you see the cross. You're free from anxiety when you realize that though you don't know or control the future, the God of love has you in His care. The Holy Spirit is God testifying to your heart that all of this is true. What we want, what we need, is to know that God's love is true. That you are His child and that you're not an orphan anymore. Here's what an orphan is. An orphan has to work to prove themselves. An orphan never feels like they're ever secure. An orphan doesn't feel like the future is guaranteed. An orphan doesn't feel safe unless they're in control. An orphan has to either puff out their chest to prove themselves or they wilt in fear and anger. An orphan has to build alliance and make enemies. An orphan responds to pain with hardness and anger. An orphan is never sure that they have a place to belong. An orphan doesn't have a father that they want to be like. Here's what a child is. Children know they're safe. Not because they have control, because they know their, but because they know their father is strong and good. Children know they'll never be rejected. They're confident in hard times. They're not afraid. They don't cower. They don't wound others in pride or anger. They respond to pain by looking to their dad. A child knows that he or she belongs. A child has a father they look at and want to be like. The thing that we need more than anything else to get through this quarter, this week, that relationship, whatever it is, the situation in your life, the thing you need more than anything else is the Holy Spirit to convince your spirit that you're the child of God. We want to be free from dependency. That's actually the goal most of us are aiming for. That's actually our chief sin is aiming to be free from dependency. But what prayer does is prayer actually induces dependency. And the more you see that the Christian life is actually about growing in dependency on God, and then prayer is one of the key key ways that you actually will functionally embrace your dependence on God. And the more you functionally embrace your dependence on God, the more His love is going to unleash security and joy in your life. God gave us a book of prayers. He gave us the Psalms. And I think the reason that we don't connect with the Psalms is actually not because we read them and we think they're old Hebrew poetry. I think the reason that we don't connect with the Psalms is because they're radically emotionally honest and that is really threatening to us. We don't know how to be emotionally honest. Because here's what some of the Psalms are. God, sometimes I want my enemies to die. We're like, whoa, you're allowed to say that? Yeah, you're allowed to say that. Right? We're uncomfortable with emotional honesty. God, I'm stuck so deep. God, I don't feel anything anymore. I did everything right and everything's going wrong. God, I want to leave. God, I have no life in me. God, I never knew I could be this lonely. God, will you please make it better? God, would you heal me? God, please help. God, I'm sorry. God, please show up. Did you know God wrote those prayers for you? The simplest prayers, Jesus actually commends short prayers. He says, don't babble, get to the point. Your prayer might need to be help. That's my prayer often, help. My prayer often is, I'm sorry, help me, forgive me, I'm afraid. One of my most consistent prayers is, is it true? The best prayer in the Gospels It's the man who prays to Jesus, help my unbelief. 
I'll close. Some of y'all know Katie Smith. She graduated two years ago. I was talking to her this afternoon. She said I could tell the story. Um, she didn't grow up in church. She didn't grow up with a Christian background at all. Uh, when she came to Stanford her sophomore year, she started coming to RUF on and off. And she came, the reason she came, she said this afterward, is because she knew the Stanford playbook. She played by the Stanford playbook, which is win at school, make friends, find a job, look for a lover. And while it's tempting, at some point she realized that if that playbook is not placed in a greater narrative, it's kind of very short-sighted and it ultimately gives you no purpose. And that's why she came to RUF, is she sensed there was the possibility to find a bigger story to be a part of than just the Stanford playbook. And after coming to RUF for two years, she was talking to her friend Graham Thompson, some of you all might know, and she asked him this question. She said, I like what they teach in RUF, but I don't know how to start to have a relationship with God. And this is what Graham said. Write in your journal what you want God to know. And Katie went home and did that. And it was actually in that process that Katie went from simply superficial wanting, hey God, I want to do well on my midterms this week. That's okay, you can ask God for help on that. I'm not sure he cares, but he might help. We can talk about that later. But uh, by sitting down and writing down, what what do I need to lay out before the Creator? She went from superficial wanting to bearing her heart in a raw way to Jesus, to coming with her need, to coming humbled, to coming seeking dependence and not independence. And that's how she became a Christian. She said it was writing her heart to God. She had heard the stories. She knew a lot about Jesus. But in order to begin to know him, the stories went from inspirational information to the true stories that she believed about how God loves her when she opened her heart to him simply by coming with nothing else but need. Let's pray.